This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Chad Kimmel. It was recorded at Grand Illusion Heart Cider in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Grand Illusion Heart Cider and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Grand Illusion Hard Cider Company. Is that right, Chad Kimmel? Grand Illusion Hard Cider Company? Absolutely. You are here. I'm looking at you. All right. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri is here, and we're going to talk cider today. I'm excited. We're excited to sit down and talk to you. We met at Pour the Core. We now, it was two years ago, almost around this time, uh, at the Philadelphia Navy Yard, and we've been trying to set this up, and COVID and all that other stuff has happened. But welcome to the podcast. Grad, you know, we're so happy to have you here, and we're going to talk, as we said, we're going to talk some cider today. Talk about how Grand Illusion got started. And, and I have to be honest with you, I've been humming the Sticks song, Grand Illusion, on my head. And every time I think of your name, what's the connection and how did all this get started for you? Well, unfortunately, and I'll be honest, the connection wasn't with Sticks, although I love the band and the music is great. Um, I've always wanted to be uh, a closet rock star, uh, wannabe type of guy. But um, the, the ascension or the central element of Grand Illusion as a brand came from being inspired by magic, that was really it. Um, and so were you a magician as a kid? Were you, yeah, no? horrible magic, I oh. had to do it. I just love to watch it. Okay. Know? There's certain things I just don't want to figure out myself. I, I'm just more amazed by Do you have favorite magicians that you... Our house magician, Kyle Purnell, uh, Monday nights here from eight, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. We have a house magician does table magic. And uh, so he makes Mondays, which is, you know, you're down to it. We made it become like big day. Because um, people just come in. It's huge for families and kids. What I hear you say is he makes people up here because they show up here. Oh, yeah. They come here for him. Yeah. Uh, he has a following. I mean, literally. There was a point at which in our history we looked at, you know, because we're paying Kyle and, and, and should because of his skill sets. But I'm like, ah, you know what? Maybe we should cancel Magic Mondays. And we toyed with that idea for a while. And then all of a sudden, forget was one of my staff members came up to like, you don't understand. People come here every week for him. Like, that's, whether it's a bad Monday or not, like, they're going to be upset. And I, it kind of sunk in. I realized we can never cancel Magic Mondays. Like, I don't care if it's like a... As long as he wants to do magic. He goes, hey, here. <laughs> he, he, has a, he has a permanent spot. Yes, I told him. So he was real happy to learn about that. So you're, you have a love or fascination with magic. That was the inspiration. Um, but really, when you asked how it began, it began as a business concept 
around why that uh, I began exploring in 2009. <clears throat> so I was reading a lot about tasting rooms. My inspiration for it all really was being dissatisfied with the typical traditional tasting room experience. What was that? What was your dissatisfaction? What What did you have an expectation for? What did you want to see? Being treated like like you're just herded in, like like animals and being given four-day-old wine. I remember one point, it was up at the Finger Lakes, I remember a woman, she actually took the cap off the wine and smelled it and then put it back on and poured it for me. And I thought, if you have to smell what you're giving me, that means you're questioning how old it is and you're forgetting. And, and I'm like, that, I'm, even if you're charging me five bucks, I understand, but like that's not cool, you know? And, and so it became, like to me, it was like, I want to do something with wine that was like beer, right? I wanted to make, I wanted to sell wine like beer. That's essentially it. Okay. Branded, merchandise, the kind of the whole superior experience, you know, the whole thing. And so I just, you know, put the pedal to the floor and was just looking, reading and talking and visiting. And then Hack, uh, Harrisburg Area Community College in fall of 2010, opened an analogy program. So they were literally, you know, it's a wine making uh, program. So I just happened to be on sabbatical for a research project at the time, and I had some time. So I'm at home, and I'm learning this program, and at the last minute, really, I reached out, I'm like, can I join? Like, can I take classes? And found out I could, and did. Um, so I took two classes, one was a chemistry class, which kicked my butt, but I ended up doing well, because I just told myself, you have to, like, you can't do poorly at this. Um, and then one was like a one-on-one type of appreciation. So you, you were expecting, oh, yeah. we're just going to get there and we're going to take grapes and we're going to press them and ferment them. And they're yeah. like, no, Chad, that's not how it works here. <laughs> and that's it. You open eyes and yeah. you kind of get woken up. Um, and I knew how to make wine in a five-gallon carboy kind of kitten style up to that point and jumped into that. And it was really being around other people who were already in the industry who were kind of sharing ideas and thoughts and challenges with me and, and others very much like me had you know different past that made me realize like this is going to be tougher than I thought and more more specifically I don't think I'm going to be as successful as I want to be with wine so so I didn't give it up but I kind of put it on the shelf and kept reading and then in 2012 2011 2012 Angry Orchard blew up and it was everywhere now were you a cider I mean were, yeah. at that point you didn't even know. I mean, cider to you is what you would get in the gallon jug, and yeah. and, and that was a seasonal yeah. thing, right? Well, I knew a woodchuck, but right. to me it was just like this just sweet, just drink that, you know, college I didn't want, you know, and we would, that was kind of like the you know, beer or college uh, drinker, and, and uh, I was getting the wine, and I really enjoyed that, but, uh, but cider to me was not on the radar at all. So I remember as that started to come to fruition, we make some, and I've tried it. Um, just went to the grocery store and bought some gallons of cider, you know, and uh, and it fermented. I tell you, it won't as well, but it did, and I didn't like it. It didn't turn out great. I didn't really like it. So I gave it away as Christmas presents, and people were like being kind, but I realized like that was terrible. It's funny we had this conversation with cideries, cider makers, and it's the same path that. They get those, you know, gallon jugs and, you know, even go to the Fleischmann's yeast section, yeah. you know, and, and, and throw some yeast in there. And But the reaction seems to be the same. Yeah, it's, it's like, this isn't good. 
So what's the secret? I, that, well, that's what I started to find out. Like, what is the secret here? So I started getting all those cyberbooks, you know, that were out there. And there weren't as many, but more started to come through. And, and so, you know, I'm in it, reading. And just at that time, Penn State Extension, which is housed in Bigler Belt at Gettysburg here, but throughout the state of PA, started holding, capitalizing on this growth, started holding cyber workshops for orchardists, like Ben Wang. You know, right. With Plowman Cider. Plowman, you know, who were doing it. Here you have these apples. You can't sell these ugly things. You know, people don't want, you know, they're whatever it is. And here's a market. You know, like, and for that. But so I was the, the minority in the room. I was the oddball out. You know, I, I wasn't wearing the boots and the, you know, I was, I had clean shoes on. You were a city slicker. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, with my book bag. And people were wondering, who the hell is he? So, but I went to everything. And soon I noticed there was a sea change where more people like me and less people like Ben, right? And then they started to realize that Carla Snyder, um, if you haven't talked with her, she'd probably be a good person. She, I don't know where she's plugged in anymore with Snyder, but she started this whole uh, Snyder kind of growth thing in PA. And I started talking with her because I wasn't getting what I wanted. And I was like, hey, you know, we just, after these presentations, like, have people met me? Like, I'm going to talk to people. As soon as it ends, everyone runs to their car. So she started to do some of that. And then she realized, realized, like, hey, there's a lot of legal questions. So she started incorporating this part of the attorney that specialized in Yeah, because when you're talking at that time, 2012, 2013, the, the regulations and laws pertaining to cideries really had not been adopted. Or, and, and, and for understanding, from talking to... Um, from, from talking to Original 13 on the last podcast, yeah. there's some more legislation working its way to give you, yeah. as cideries, more autonomy and more um, definition as to what you can and can't do and some of the support you're going to get. Yeah. But back then, yeah. literally, you say, hey, I want to open a cidery, and they're looking at you going, a winery, a brewery, what? You were like wine stepchild. Yeah. You know? And I think that's still, in essence, how it is a little bit right now. It still is. It still is. It's gotten better. Um, but we still are. We just you know, work within the rules you have. Um, but uh, but so I went to everything and consumed as much as I could, branched out, and then um, slowly those started to slow down. 2015 was like a big year for those, and those started to slow down. But I kept going, and so I, I had already kind of networked with a number of people. John uh, and from Original 13, Sir Charles being one of them, and really began to kind of think more about the cider as the concept. Um, but always having this contract model in mind, and I'm going to you know, explore that today with you because I'm different from you know, really everyone else almost uh, in the ways in which we do what we do. And because I have a full-time, I have a full-time job, I'm a college professor, I have a family, kids, sports, and I cannot, could not open a full-time production facility. It's a whole separate thing, a whole separate business. And I knew what my limitations were. So essentially, I wanted to, and I, I was exploring this with wine, so I thought, well, I'll apply to cider. Let me get cider made from someone else with my recipes. So it's almost like what distillers are doing today with MGP. They're saying, hey, this is the mash bill I want to do. This is the recipe I want to use. You bring it to me, and it's still yours. You just, it's like, hey, look, I don't make a cake, for, but I can have a baker make a cake. More wineries do it than you think. Big ones, big California ones. It's called virtual, virtual brands, virtual wine, and it's huge. A lot of people don't talk about it, 
you know, the shelf and you see all these beautiful bottles, you're like, oh, wow, you envision this romanticized vineyard and people, no, oh, man, like, it's just a marketing agency running, you know, a show. Um, they're making great wine, you know, they're selling great wine, That's, it's just the business for them. So I wanted to adopt some of those principles of that model, because um, I knew I just couldn't do the production side, keeping that all those plates in the air. Uh, so I just kind of kept reading and writing and, and talking and, and, and uh, getting as many answers as I could, and slowly this kind of was put together, essentially. Um, I had to work a lot of those legal things out, because I really went down that contract line legally, and that cost a lot of money, because not a lot of people were doing it, and, and I need a lot of answers, and, you know, attorneys are $450 an hour, so... And you needed those answers fast, right? Yeah, so these, that started adding up. One point I remember I sat with a liquor law attorney, and I knew more than she did. And I was so angry because I knew I was going to get the bill. You know, I had to pay this. <laughs> but it taught me a lesson, right? It taught me, like, okay, don't go to someone unless you know they know more than you do. I think to that point, what you're saying is you, you kind of have to feel them out. Yeah. And at, at that time, again, the landscape... There wasn't a lot of knowledge. There wasn't a lot of experience. And you're almost one of those pioneers in the industry. You're, you're teaching other people, and I'm sure you're, do, you're doing that today. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you kind of had this model where you want to be like this tap house, um, you know, tasting room kind of a style of, of cidery. And I guess it's, it's winery. You have some wines, too, because when you, when you drive up, you see winery and cidery yeah. on, the, yeah, on the outside. Wine, wine and cider. So in many ways, it was like a wine and cider bar. Yeah. Uh, I like to have a wine bar atmosphere. That's, what, that's really what I wanted to do, but then do it with cider as well. Um, so, yeah, we have uh, some wines from other PA wineries. We have two wines that are under our name. Um, so, you know, you could get to a contract model. But um, that, uh, so yeah, we do wine. We have five beers on draft two, 14 ciders and one mead line. Um, and uh, so we're just trying to promote. You know, at the very beginning, we were all about to promote the best of Pennsylvania. That's all, that's what, what we do. Um, we certainly have more ciders on Jeff and Al Bars than we did when we opened, which was like not. <laughs> literally, in February, our first cider, our first cider came out in April. February of what year? 2018. 2018. So our first cider came out April 4th. You know? So this was, we just celebrated your third anniversary. Yeah. And we, we'll talk a little bit about COVID and how that's impacted you. Because yeah, yeah. it's almost like this is maybe your second anniversary. You kind of take it back a year. Yeah, no, we missed a year, a lost year. But uh, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm always about building our brand on the backs of other brands. You know, it's, I'm not, you know, we're not a silo here. Our goal is to promote everybody. I really feel what's fascinating about, as you look at all these different industries, that there's no one, you have to do it this way. Yeah. And when you think outside a little bit, because for many people that we talk to, I mean, look, fermenting and producing and brewing that that's where they all want to be i mean that's you know what i'm hearing you say is you made some cider at home didn't care for it it wasn't like you started to do a lot of home craft cider making you went yeah. to a different route saying how can i make a business out of this right and right. and really enjoy the interaction experience with my customers create this destination spot as you put to feature and focus and highlight pennsylvania products yeah yeah how was it from there to start to contract, as you said, I mean, you're now seeking out some of these other cider producers saying, all right, let's sit down. These are our, I'm assuming what you did was these are our ideas. 
what can we do from here? I mean, how, is that pretty, how it worked a little bit? It, it's how I tried to make it work. Okay. And I still have the original emails. I saved all of them. I was knocking on everyone's door. Um, I even knocked on John's door uh, in those early days. And he was ready to help, but he was still figuring things out. And it, that contract model was still kind of not there yet. But he was one of the ones I, you know, was, was going, going to go with. Um, Freakant, Freakant Cider. I knocked it up all of them saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. I don't want to make it camp, but I will pay you to. And everyone was like, no. Was or it, don't respond to your email. Here, here's the funny thing, and because I'm thinking this through in my head, that their heads are down trying to get their businesses that's going. That's exactly and why. Yeah. How are we going to... I mean, we've, we've got our, our, our tanks are all full. Yeah. Or we've got our production. Where are we going to fit this in our production? I think that's where they were. Right. Um, I had a little lead here or there, but they just weren't great. Just that was it. The climate at the time, there were challenges and pressures of where they were in their business. So... I had to at some point pull the trigger. Okay, I'm going to open up my own ten barrel system on site, and I was planning to do that and did it. Like it's still there. Uh, I had IBCs. I had a, a big, beautiful bright tank, uh, four thousand dollar branded beautiful pump. Uh, didn't get pull trigger on hoses and clamps and all that stuff, but I had it all in place and was ready to do it. And then when we opened in February, it was like a kaboom. We were on fire, and I just thought. My sabbatical's over. I'm going back to work. How am I going to do this? I'm like, it's not going to work. So I started looking for cider makers. Hard to find. They weren't there for a 10 barrel system. You know, cider maker for a full time job, you know, forklift, dock, all that, maybe. But no, not on site in the 1840s downtown, you know, time. So I'm like, I got to do it myself. And I started thinking about it. And I realized looking at my schedule and family, I'm like, this is not going to happen. It's not possible. So just at that time, I was further enough along where I turned to Woodridge Cider down in Dallas Town, and I knew Scott there because he had just come in the year or so before that. And uh, I said, you know, again, asked him, like, I need help. Like, I need my first cider. Can you at least... So I'm just thinking, you have all this equipment. Yeah. You, you never fired it up? Mm-hmm. It, it never... You haven't used it? I zip ties on my brake tank when I sold it. I'm like thinking it's like almost to some people you've got the Ferrari sitting in the back garage but you never you never drive it you don't even own a key to it I tried giving keys to people and they didn't want it they didn't want it or they wanted a lot of money for a little work and I was like it's not how it's supposed to work so now you sold it all oh yes I sold all of it okay I'm sure there was a market there now you had people maybe clamoring for brand new never used the pump you know 4,000 for 3,000 people are going to buy that but still the extension corpus was zip tied on it, right? And so, you know, people were getting some deals, but I had to, you know, I had to get rid of that. Um, but you did find somebody that now you yeah, could you so could contract with. I went to Scott there at Windridge, and I'm like, just get, just help me with my first cider. So I had the recipes. I had been making cider in the basement, and doing festivals and stuff. So I had like my first three or four ciders ready in terms of you know, extrapolate them, you know, out from five gallon to nine hundred thirty. But um, I was ready to go. I'm like, just help me with the first one, man. I'm like, I just got to get one on draft. I'm just underwater right now. And so he turned to the owner again, because I had knocked on the door before, and they were like, hey, we'll do this for you. Because I think the timing was right for them, um, legally and everything. We kind of figured it out. So that's what uh, we did. And, you know, Blue Vision, our first 
uh, blueberry lavender cider came on and they realized like wow contracting is lucrative it's the way now that, that's interesting so blue illusion was the first one yeah it wasn't let's say a simple base cider you yeah. you went for flavor blueberry you you lavender. you had more of, of an extravagant idea of what you wanted to do that's it's all about what we're doing here like I just wanted to make this as big of a show as I possibly could. Nothing about me. You know, I'm 47 years old. I had a kid, family, career, you know, going strong. I didn't want to come out bootstrapping and starting small. And, I mean, just shove kegs to the whole festival. I'm like, I'm going to come out and make it look like we've been in business for 15 years. And just blow it up. You're the guy that says, you know, I, I never really liked running and I don't want to run, but I, I just signed up for a marathon. Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, you have to start running. Um, just with what I leveraged to make this happen in terms of resources and loans, you got to come out the gates on fire. And that's what I want. And that was my original intention way on. So it was all about doing as much homework as I could to, to come out of the gate, you know, running. And uh, so we came out with Blueberry Lavender, and that was, it started out as something I had been making uh, myself for festivals and so forth. But I have a friend down in Colorado who runs something very similar it's uh, St. Frank Cider, and they had all cider ciders from Colorado, including theirs, um, Jack. And we were going back and forth. He was, uh, Dan Dougherty, was a huge help with me with this, back and forth. So I said, Dan, what's your biggest selling cider on draft right now? He's like, it's called, it's a blueberry lavender cider. I'm like, wow. He's like, it's not ours. And someone stem or someone else made it in Colorado. And he's like, but people love it. I'm like, cool. I'm going to figure it out. You know, so you, know, see, out. Yeah, you can't see this on the podcast, but your face just lit up. <laughs> whatever that connection was or whatever he said, and it, I kind of connected to this. You know, a chef goes out and they go on vacation and they go to a different area and they get to see all these different influences on their food. And what they do now is they can bring back, they're fresh with ideas and they can bring back all these new recipes or all these new menu yeah. items to, to the restaurant. In, in a way... You kind of have a sense of you get inspired by something that somebody else is doing. Well, you put your own spin on it. Yeah. But now you're taking like the best ideas of what other people are creating, yeah. and and again, that's your brand, that's yeah. your mark, yeah. and that's kind of fun. It is fun. It was a lot, I and mean, that's that's what I am trying. That's the fun that I have here. You know, like I I don't want to do like look at our t-shirts. Like I'm not going to make a regular t-shirt. I don't want to. They're boring. So what do I do? I replicate like a Def Leppard album, or I replicate my Guns N' Roses album, you know, for our concert series shirts. Yeah. So it's all about just giving people. It's a show. I mean, again, it connects. This is a show. It's a show. I tell my staff members: you walk in this the door, front or back, to to work. You're on stage. You are a performer. Like if you are, and the guests are have paid to be here. Which is the Disney mindset. Totally. That when you, they even call it the locker rooms, the area, that's backstage. Yeah. When you step foot in the public area, you are on set. Yeah. You I'm are part of the show no matter what you're doing. Totally. That's, that's it. I'm glad you brought it up because that in many ways is I'm striving to do as much of that as I can given you know, where we are and our resources. Yeah. That's a great philosophy for a business. I, mean, okay. I think Dawn and I talk about like what is our podcast? And I like having these conversations more... Um, to the emotion, to the mindset, to the business side of, because a lot of people may be listening that like cider or like different kinds of spirits, 
and think about, well, you know, how, what is it like to start a business? Or how did that business get started? In many cases, you know, you, you have all the information on the website. But when somebody goes, they don't think about, hey, how did Grand Illusion get started? They don't look at the history. They don't look at the story. They're moving on to that next part. And I think we want to, you know, share that story. I think that's really valuable. But when you think about, hey, this is our brand. This is our logo. This is how we're going to present our ideas to the consumer. You've really thought a lot of that through. Yeah. Oh, I, I have. I have. That's and that's really. I think what separates me from a lot of other people. Like I'm. I love cider. I appreciate the, the science and art behind cider making and orchard, orchardists and their traditions, the values and all of that. I embrace all of that. It's wonderful. But I'm using cider as a, as uh, as something to, to run a business, right? And so. Um, it's just we're approaching it differently. You know, we're selling a product, but we're, you know, in many ways, I build a business around the site, and it was just this larger show around product. You know, and you can spin cider a lot of different ways. You know, there's this, you know, um, like Ben Wang and you know, Big Hill Cider, and, and what they do is beautiful, and it's country farm, barn, draft, you know, dogs, dirt. There's no dogs in dirt, right? It's about it's about the show. It's about downtown. It's about Main Street. It's about you know bringing people. It's community. So it's just a whole different same product, but you just different spin. Now you're talking about you. So you, you you contract out your first cider. What was that first year? What what did 2018 look like for you? You're still visiting festivals, yeah, and you're still wor- getting the word out as far as your product. It was it was just a. Uh, it was a, a year, a lot of growth and a lot of little fires, you know. So we're figuring out the restaurant, and I, had, you know, I've worked as a server myself, but I never owned a restaurant. I'm not in the restaurant family. Um, so from the POS to staff to training and to creating a restaurant inside an old building and knowing where best places to have server station, all of that was like. So I hired in the beginning a, a general manager consultant just. To just to help me design, create a menu, something that would work with the resources we have back there, and also then hire GM, someone to help manage the staff. Because I, you know, I didn't want to be that where all those happens. Because I knew once you spread yourself thin, you're not going to be a success. You need to find people who, who dedicate themselves to important parts of the puzzle. Um, and uh, and so it was, you know, 2018 was just a year of growth and of change and development. Finding ourselves, finding our group. Uh, I think any new business just needs to find their group and what they're good at, and don't say yes to everything, and don't bring on every new thing. But just kind of like keep adding, adding, adding. You know, just kind of building something. All this process of, of going through and, and meeting people to contract with, and everything you're doing. What was that when when you when you turn to your wife and you say, "Man, we got something here." Yeah. What, what was that like for you? When was that experience? Do you, do you recall going back to that, all this hard work, all these conversations, I think we've got something. It was a recognition, I think, by others that they were excited for you or like the local community saw, you began to see us as an important part of the downtown, um, that respect of, you know, we need you, we're, you're valued to us. 
So that was big for me because that's what I wanted to do. As an academic, like I studied Main Streets, I read and taught about community, but so I knew what's, what was needed. You know, you're kind of putting money where your mouth is, and you, you have to take a risk. It's a huge risk. But you, you want to, you know, find an old building, you want to appreciate it and then renovate it and show the beauty to other people. Um, and it was, it was a lot of things to me. So it was one, the challenge of starting a business, can I do it? Can I be successful? Can you build a brand that people will recognize and like, right? Um, and then can you contribute to a community in really meaningful ways and help them? And so it was, I did all of those, but it was, that was my goal. I set out to do it, but I didn't know if it was going to pull it off. But slowly I started realizing people started to, I saw someone wearing a t-shirt downtown one time. Oh, that's got to be, that's got to be crazy. When you that know you helped to design yeah. that and now they're wearing yeah. your products and stuff. That, that kind of hits you. That's fun. Oh, right on. And I had someone from Philly drive all the way out here. I was here one time just checking in. I was ready to leave. And this woman was like, she was buying six cases of Psyker. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I'll help you carry it to your car. And I did. And I said, where are you from? She's like, I'm from Philadelphia. I saw you at Port of the Four. I bought some six packs there. I had to come out. I'm like, you drove all the way to Philadelphia to buy six packs or cases of our cider? And she's like, yeah, I had the day off. And I was just like, man, okay, I, I'm, this is cool. <laughs> like, that's, that's intense. That's intense. We talked a little bit about that you're, you grew up in the Levittown, Pennsylvania area. How did you end up in this community? And are you from Carlisle enough to say this is where you want to go? Or did you see the Main Street aspect from, from where you felt that you could make an impact and a difference and help this community yeah. grow? Well, it was just about jobs. And so um, I went to graduate school out in Michigan. And then well, that's cider. I mean, there's plenty of cider there, too. Cider, yeah. Okay. Well, now. It wasn't then. No. That was in 99, 2001. Um, but, you know, lots of big stuff there. Um, and then we came to Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, and I got a teaching gig up at, at Teal College for, well, it was my first gig, and I thought, okay. And then I realized I didn't like the place, the school, and we were living in Pittsburgh. I'm driving a lot because I just didn't want to live up where the school was. And I'm like, man, we gotta, we got to find something else. Like, I need another job. I need a good teaching job, someplace I can stay. And so I was looking at Pittsburgh University, uh, which is about 30 minutes from here, came on the map. They were looking for someone who I had specialized in criminology type courses, and they were looking for a criminologist to teach sociology. So I interviewed, and I did get the job, and and I'm from, uh, I got my undergrad at Millersville in Lancaster, so I knew the state system, and I was familiar with it and comfortable with it, and I'm like, I'm a state school kid, right? So I'm with Millersville, IU, uh, IUP for my master's, which is Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and then Western Michigan for my PhD. So they're all state schools. I'm a state school kid, Levittown, Pennsylvania, lower middle class. So you're Pennsylvania through and yeah, through, right? Yeah. So I felt comfortable. I'm like, shit was where I could do this. So we, you know, moved here. Um, and uh, knowing quickly, you know, hey, here's a beautiful town. And let's, let's invest in it, you know, over time. That was my philosophy. I mean, you really, it sounds like you've really made yourself, you adopted the community, the community has adopted you, and you've become a fixture in Carlisle. And, you know, driving through and seeing, I, I don't know enough about the history of Carlisle, but 
when we talk about from a sociologist aspect of it, the resurgence of these small towns yeah. is is that is that kind of what's happening with Carlisle now that there's a, a resurgence. I mean, there's a brewery. You've got Hook and Flask, who was a guest on our podcast around the corner. So I mean, is that what you're seeing out of Carlisle? And do you, do you get a sense or an understanding of your place in in that that resurgence of of a town like Carlisle? Yeah. Um, it's exactly what's happening. It has been for the last decade. Um, we're seeing a, a re- population of people moving back to, to small towns. And the malls are decaying, you know. So, 70s, the malls that killed downtowns. And, um, and, but there's a growth. Because I think what we're, and even post pandemic here, what we're finding is people want something scaled to them. They want that personable, they want experiences, they want them to be personable, nothing larger than themselves. Um, and, and they're finding the romance again in downtown. The downtown, we've always been here. These towns have always been here. And they provide a place, uh, a sense of place for people. And uh, so, so we're finding that now the vacancy rate here is incredibly low. Businesses are just knocking on every door to come in, and there's more and more businesses. I mean, I'm on the Downtown Carlisle Association, and there's just, even over the next couple of months, there's, there's a grand opening today of a, of a high-end sneaker short store. Um, and I'm just like, that's awesome. You know? I think that, and, and I, to your point, I'm glad to hear something like that, because from a, I guess, when you say, you know, post-pandemic or pandemic world, what we see sometimes in the media or what we perceive is you know, all these businesses are going out, all these businesses are going out of business. Now, some may, and let's face it, that happened pre-pandemic because of just circumstances. But what I'm hearing you say is that there are businesses opening up, there are businesses that are doing well, businesses like you, and we'll talk about how you know, you've come out and through COVID and everything else, but there's this perception. And what you're telling me is a town like Carlisle, Come to Carlisle because there's a lot of opportunity here. Oh, it's, I, I was surprised. Um, I thought you know this the the pandemic would just flatten a lot, and it and it has. In many ways, what I'm seeing, and it's relative to industries. But you know, I'm in the restaurant industry, and I'm quite new. I guess three years, um, three years old. It really kind of it thinned. Oh, I'm trying to be respectful. It thinned people maybe who were already on the line anyway. Right. Here's, a, here's what, you know, Don and I were talking on the way here just about some of our conversations we're having and, you know, how COVID helped people to either pivot and get better or they just got out of their own way. I mean, it was just, you know, the day in, day out grind of, you know, just having enough in the cash register or receivables to keep the business open. And they were, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, but it was the only thing they had. And then COVID hits, and somebody like, you know what? It's it's probably not. This is a sign to say I need to find something else to do. I'm sure it was a very hard decision, but it, that probably made it easier than than it would have been without COVID. Yeah. Blueberry lavender was your first one. Yeah. Why don't we try some cider? Let's talk let's about your let's talk about your perspective on cider, yeah. and and because you have a whole different idea of what you've been doing, yeah. and I love to share that with the public. And let's talk some cider. Awesome. Chad, all right, we've got four samples here. Let's go through each one of them. Which one should we start with? Well, let's start with our first one, Blue Illusion. Which was Blue the Illusion. first cider we brought on. Okay. Uh, number one on the... On now, this was something you were... This is something, as you said, you started brewing at home, right? Yeah. How were you sourcing the ingredients at the time? Well, my first run, 
was, um, I think I just went to the uh, beer supply store and bought like your can of blueberry puree. And then lavender was the big hunt. And I had that, I went to the farmer's market, there was a lady who was, had some lavender things. And I said, I need to buy lavender. And she said, uh, do you know anything about lavender? I said, I said it smells great. <laughs> like, well, there's English and there's French. French, she's like, you know, you do the soaps. It's very fragrant. But you cannot cook or eat it. But English, you can. And I'm like, all right, I'll some English, you know. Like, That's a know. great look. I'm, but what she could have said, yeah, I have lavender. You, oh, you yeah. she could have given you just lavender, right? And then it you cook with it, and then what happens? It would have been, it would have been a horrible, horrible experience. Um, horrible to drink, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, and I got the English, but it was like, how much do you use? You know, and so it was a trial and error. You know, at some point, my first time was, and I use it like hopping, you know, dry hopping. So put it in a bag. And, well, first time was too long. You know, I was like, uh oh. Because it gets bitter and bad, and uh, so I found that sweet spot. So you know, it's all about sweet spots. Sometimes. If you're adding flavor, sometimes it's too much. You know, it's all about the sweet spot. So on the nose, what what stands out is so, you you get a balance. It's not blueberry. It's not lavender. You get it's blueberry lavender. Everybody plays well with each other on the nose. Um, you still get the um, you still get you know you're drinking a cider. Yeah. You still get apple, the Christmas or yeah. the the the, um, the the orchard smell in the apple. Yeah. It's a really nice balanced harmony of everything playing together. So you really dialed that in well. That's it. That's and I'm glad you noted that because I've always been about the balance. So in the very beginning, it was uh, you know I don't want to lose any flavor, and it's hard to you know, I can say that, and I'm sure a purist will come in and go, you took the apple far away. You know, like, and so, you know, I, I can't please every audience, but what I didn't want to provide was just fruit juice, you know, at the expense of the apple. So I wanted everything to be present, but I didn't want to lose, lose the apple, and I try hard to keep it. On the flavor, you do get that blueberry forward. Yeah. What comes next is more the apple juice, and then the, the herb, the, yeah. the, the floral notes of the lavender sit with you. Um, and then it dries out to where you're getting like that apple skin finish to it. Now, for this, I, I, what what I really enjoyed, and, and as you're talking through it, this took me right back to Pour the Core because Dawn and I, I remember this was one of our favorite ciders that we had at Pour the Core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and still my one of my favorite ciders. Now, consistency is hard, right? So, and I'm not making it right. So it's my recipe, but. Um, as you know, with many, a lot of other breweries, from batch to batch, it might be a little different. And the apples are different. I mean, so we, we have to say you can't start from the same point all the time. Um, and I remember we had a run uh, where, because I know the cider, I love it, and when I poured it, I was like, what happened? <laughs> you know, it there was just two. It was a, so in the beginning times when you were when you were you know trying to get that formula that recipe yeah. dialed in. What happened from this little, smaller recipe we're doing, and now it's gotten bigger? Yeah, when you extrapolate it, you know, things, like you just have larger sizes of something. Uh, you go from, you know, a couple ounces of a lab to, to a couple pounds, um, dry hopping, and if it's not submerged as long properly, if it, flo- you know, if it floated the bag and it wasn't weighted down, you're still running the same timeline, but you didn't get the same flavor out of it. 
And it's just a lot of those little things, you know, especially, you know, that's the challenge of a contract model. If it's not you, it's not your person, and you're not maintaining that process, um, you, it might not. Yeah, there's some conversation to this. And, yeah. you know, this is your vision, this is your recipe. And, and frankly, there may be some ingredients and things that they have not really tried or used to a point. It's a good relationship, and I'm sure now, you know, as as you as you've you know now three years in, they understand more of what you're looking for. They've learned, they've improved for them as well. And, you know, I look at this. You mentioned one thing that maybe you're maybe you're using some different apple varietals, or you know, maybe from recipe batch to batch, it's not going to taste exactly the same. Let's face it. I mean, we started talking about wine. You know. You know, maybe 85 was a good year for this cab, right. and maybe 86 wasn't a good year. I mean, but you're still, the, the flavor profile is more of a, um, it's more of a gray area, right? Yep. You want to hit from here to here, you don't want to be out of those bounds, right. but you want to be known that this is what your cab is going to be, or this is what your blend is going to be. I think in the same conversation, you're talking about your cider, too. Yeah. I mean, maybe year to year, we might have a good year for blueberries or wherever they're sourcing. You know, you might have more sugar content. Yeah. Do you have to really manage that stuff as well? I, you know, I do as much as I can to provide them with my uh, expectations. And, you know, we have a great relationship and they kind of know what I can, what I tolerate or not. We did a lot of back and forth on filtering, dropping the bottom out. Just in the beginning, I, I liked a more or less filtered product and over time we've got we've gotten more filtered <laughs> she emptied your glass over time we filtered more Dawn doesn't like to talk a lot on the podcast but she likes to drink a lot on the podcast <laughs> so, she enjoys it <laughs> that's great I'm glad you like that no that's yeah that, that somehow the the, bond, the, the, the glass was, was too small for that I don't know <laughs> that was good you gave us smaller glasses didn't you <laughs> what's the next one the next one is Mystic Pineapple and this is our hot uh, this is a pineapple cider that is hopped with citra and cascade. Now, how did you get the? This is what's your inspiration for this? IPAs. IPAs. Yeah. And so, now, is this coming from your customer base saying, "Hey, do you have anything that's hoppy, or do you have anything that's, that's like a beer, or is this something from just as you taste?" Like we talked about, you get the inspiration from a Colorado cidery. Exactly. Is this the same thing for you? Yep. Uh, so I went to Portland, Oregon, for this. Uh, Nat Reverend Nat. Uh, I still haven't been out there. My goal is to get there. He was really the inspiration for for a lot of what I wanted to do on the front end of this. Um, and he, they hopped really hard, and it's huge. And I just remember reading and something something I watched of him, and he gave a recipe. I'm always trying to glean elements. A lot of people won't give stuff away, but he gave like a recipe for how much per gallon. Oops. <laughs> that's all I needed. That's all I it's like when you watch, we love watching, you know, diners, drivers, and dives, right? Yeah. And you'll watch them make something and they'll say, oh, this is my, this is the secret. I can't tell you what this is. And you try to, but you still try to glean because of the reaction, what they're saying through the discussion of the spices yeah. or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, I figured that out. I got it. Yeah. yeah so you do the same That's thing. That's what I did. And it's, it's 40 pounds for 930 gallons. That's 40, 40, 42 pounds of hops. It's a lot. Um, but it gives it the flavor I wanted. That's amazing. So I, I did that at home in five gallon batches and kind of got to the point where I'm like, okay, that's a nice balance with the, with the pineapple. Pineapple kind of cuts through. Um, it might not be as much apple. I think there's still apple, you know, but the hops are 
powerful, but I want a hot, one of the hot cider. We, Dawn and I can share. I mean, if, if you asked us our favorite beers, IPAs are probably on the lower end. Okay. Because of just the overall, a lot of them are just, I'm going to punch you in the face with hops, and there's like this bitterness that comes, I mean, it's just not what we enjoy. Now, I think if you were to say, for us, we gravitate towards those juicy, like more of the hazy style IPAs, this to me is exactly what I want always in that IPA if I gravitate to it without the bitterness. You get you get the pineapple, you get the floral notes of the hops, you you get the the herbaceousness, but it's I, I think this is where instead of doing barley and malted barley or you know the base for beer, you're using apples. This is where apples really play so well with the pineapple. You can still sense the there, there's apple in here, and I think the apple comes on. You know, really, there's that again. I, I, there's this. I'm going to take this grand illusion idea. Because when you take you when, when you when you go through a magic trick, right? There's always that beginning. There's that sleight of hand, and then there's the end where you try to figure out what happened. <laughs> well, guess what? Here's your cider. Yeah. I get that beginning. I get that pineapple. I get the fruity notes. Then there, all right. There's this appleness. There's this appleness that comes out, and then the hops kind of play back into where you are. So it's all right. Now I'm trying to figure out what did I just drink? What was the secret? How did he? How did he do that? How did he make that? I'm trying to figure out the trick now, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite part of everything. It's like, oh my, that just I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, you're, how you made this magic trick with this. But, you know, to the point, you know, like, I'll gravitate towards it. I, I enjoy a hoppy cider. But this, this is delicious. This is an example yeah. of exactly who your personality is. That's and what I wanted in many ways was to, and I love finger like cider. I mean, I really that was our good intent. It was good. It was no, not good intent. It was um good, good life cider. Yeah. Initially, it was good life cider. Yeah, yeah. That was our first like cider. Right. That was our first cider experience. Awesome. And we loved it. They they do. I think on tap they had like twelve different ciders. Yes. But they were doing dry and yes. semi. I mean these these were the quintessential you know craft. Yeah. It was a great start for us. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So that was your first. It really was, yeah. Wow. We went up there, and we've grown everywhere, but we really loved it up there. We went to a bunch of different places, but that was we'd always get back to Finger Lake Cider House, and I loved the cider, you know, and I it was an appreciation and embracing the apple. Totally get it. More, you know, farm centric cider, um, but being sold in seven fifty milliliter bottles, and which was cool, but it was like that. I, I knew it was. I might do it now. Like, so, you know, we wanted to do it like beer. And so West Coast does cider like beer, East Coast does cider like wine. Uh, still does, right? And so I wanted to basically emulate, replicate the same marketing strategies and styles on the West Coast. So the Grand Illusion is very much like a West Coast cider. We're not a afraid of flavor uh, additions. And we don't want to do anything too crazy. Um, but for some, you know, Lavender might, might be pretty wild, you know, to add to a cider, but I didn't think so. So I, that's kind of, but you're, you hit it right on, you know, on the head. That's where we are. So I wanted to, we're not afraid of flavor, and we didn't want to kind of like create that typical traditional East Coast farm style cider product. We wanted to kind of treat it as more like a, a beer marketing branding type of thing. 
there's so many ways I can go with this, but let's talk about it over the next cider. Sure. <laughs> so the next one is um, Hocus Hibiscus. Hocus Hibiscus. Yeah. Now, how do you go through the process of naming your ciders? It's all about branding. And so, um, obviously, I want an element of what's in it to be in the name. I try very hard. And um, I also want an element of magic to be in, in the name, too. Um, just you know, part of the brand. Try to keep it consistent, keep it fun. It adds to how you can shape the, the label itself and the mission that you have for what you want the cider to look like in the in the can, in terms of you know, the guest, the customer holding it. So this was a our summer cider two summers ago, I think, and it just was a hit, and we just kept it as one of the flagship. So this was, I wanted to do something with strawberry. Um, I wanted I wanted some kind of lemonadey thing, some lemon, um, but then I needed something else. So strawberry lemon was like okay. I needed something else, blueberry bottom, peach, ginger. You know, I needed something. We're always about at least two things. So we have three things in this. So it was strawberry, lemon, and then it was a hibiscus. So when did, we were out at, um, my wife and I went to uh, the American Cyber Association. Was that in Denver, in uh, Colorado? We, we, did the, we did the Chicago one. Okay. Um, and I think we tasted the hibiscus cider there. And really liked it. Again, this is where you get these yeah. influences, these inspirations from, from what other people are doing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, we're not creating anything. We're not reinventing But you're putting your own stamp on it. Uh-huh. You're making your own personality of that, which is fine yeah. because, look, if, if I go have a cheesecake I'm or a cheesesteak, yeah. you, I now can make my own yeah. the way I would want to do that. Yeah, well, you know, so, we, yeah, we weren't out to recreate something entirely new, just bring some things that work together nicely together. So, uh, so we brought hibiscus in. And again, it was all about like how much hibiscus leaves do you use? What? Uh, and, and, and educate me because I'm 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 tasting this. I get the strawberry. It's like this this faint, but there's still the apple that comes through there. But where's the? I, I guess for me, I, I just want to educate me or, or tell me where that hibiscus or what I should be tasting on the hibiscus. Okay. I think the hibiscus in this particular production run now is in the middle. Okay. I get, it, I get this kind of dry, bitter drop after the strawberry kind of hits you. I see that. You're right. Your mouth just kind of like, yeah. that's where the hibiscus notes come in. Um, and this is almost like being a conductor, isn't it? Yeah. Like you're, you're now pointing at the oboe right? I, I mean, it, or the bassoon. It, it, totally <laughs> it totally is. Because, and like I used the word consistency before, this, I don't know what number run this is from the very beginning. But our first, very first run was uh, uh, not a, f- a failure. Actually, it turned out to be really good, but we couldn't replicate it. We, I go down, so without giving too much away. Um, no, don't tell us how you do the trick. Just yeah. tell us how to, you know, so I was, you know slay the hand. I'm physically part of the whole blending process because I, I no longer are making it. I'm not making it in my basement. So any new ciders, I just go down and I'm like, here's what I got. So I'll. I sit there for half the day by myself with the base ciders and my extracts or my um, not extract, my purees, and, and I create it in like you know the way you're doing your hands. I, I'm watching you do like the mad scientist thing. Little pipettes or pipettes, you know, and then I write it all down. I'm like I think I have it, and I'm like you extrapolate. Let's let's do the math, um, and uh, you know when can I expect it? You know one of those type of things. When does the truck show up? 
Um, that sounds like a fun day. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. Like, getting back in your car, like, I'm, I'm kind of pretty drunk. Yeah. <laughs> One sip at a time. Um, you've been there for four hours, just drinking, throwing out samples. But at the, at the end, um, it was too much lemon. And uh, I got the call, and he's like, I think it's too much lemon. I'm like, what? I'm like, so I'm like, do not do anything with it. I'll be right there. I come down, and it was way too much lemon. So we're, you know, so I'm like, we got you got to dump, so we dump the hundred gallons, and add it back in regular cider, fermented cider. Tasted it, and I'm like, well, we need more of this. And then, so at that point, the, the, the paper was gone, the recipe's gone, and it was just like, let's salvage 930 gallons, 1,000 gallons. And we did, and ended up being crazy good, but we couldn't replicate it. We tried on number two. Yeah, because as you said, the paper's gone. Well, yeah, when you add, you know, you, I wasn't going to do exactly what we did. I wasn't going to make this and then dump 100 gallons and then do. So, you know, I didn't want to waste money. <clears throat> Uh, so the second round uh, wasn't the same, but it, it was the best we could get. But I think we're closer now. To that well, that's that's part of the problem. Like, yeah. Again, I, what I find is, and we have this, and, and I don't like if you listen to the podcast regularly. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think what you have to do is you have to give people, you have to give those producers, whether it's breweries or cideries or whatever, time to mature. And sometimes you may try something that this is our first release of this, but understand if you didn't particularly care for it or wasn't your favorite, you go back to that and you may find that the third batch or the fourth batch, man, this may now become your favorite, but don't write them off or don't say, you know, we we have that, like, we'll talk about breweries that just opened or again, for you, I mean, I'm sure the people came in here that maybe were not familiar with cider. Like, ah, it's okay. But you were still getting your feet under you. You were still figuring stuff out. Like you said, hey, we did our first batch and it was okay. We couldn't replicate it. But now, this is exactly what your vision was. Now, we did the previous podcast with John at Original 13 and John and Petra. And they've got me thinking about, you know, how you can make a really nice cocktail out of cider. And I don't know if that's something you do here. We have a few and they're like a seasonal. So we're just ending our, our winter and, and bringing Kind of spring, summer. So, what are some of the cocktails you're making out of the ciders you're doing? They do a blue hito. Um, a blue hito. So you add a little mint to there, a little, yeah. Uh, yeah. a little That's spritz to huge, it. Huge. It's a big popular one. And they have a pineapple upside down like um, cake with, with mystic pineapple. Um, and so, uh, so the, and the flavors work. Apple just works so well with a lot of things. It's a nice. It's a very. Um, I forget the word I used to use when I talked about it. Um, it, it, it accepts other things. It's very friendly. If Apple, if cider, hard cider, was a person, um, <laughs> if, if if you were a bird, what would you be? No, but because I got the uh, I got the birds up there too. In the, yeah, uh, owls are always. In <laughs> so if you're a person, what kind of cider would you be? <laughs> You'd be a very friendly person. Okay, um, and you get along with a lot of people. Okay, um, and that's what Apple does. It's very. It's, gets along with a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you, I mean, when the first reaction to this, because I'm really enjoying just, just the different flavor notes of this, the lemon, the strawberry, you get a little hibiscus, and I appreciate you pointing that out where that is. I'm, I'm thinking adding gin to this. Oh, my gosh. With, with the botanicals, and, and you get a little bit of that, that um, you know, that, that, that gin forward, even the juniper, but like a, a nice American-style gin. Even even if you took that and you you reduced that down a little bit, and made more of a, a syrup to it, that is awesome. That would be 
so you're taking something and now you're just you're just amplifying it and, and creating something. And so I didn't like I said, you know, John and Petra have a mindset now because I, we really didn't talk about how the cocktail program can work with ciders because most cideries we go to, it's just the tap and you do cider. But wow, you now just amplified that to a whole different level. And we don't do enough with it in terms of cocktails. Um, that might be uh, a direction that we can look into pursuing. Um, that's certainly not opposed to it. Um, I just wanted to keep that. It comes back to that whole bar style scene. You know, I wanted to create something that worked for people and families. I didn't want to be Chuck E. Cheese, but I also didn't want to be <laughs> a, a bar, 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 bar. Like even when people would say, how's your bar going? My friends, I'm like, own a bar. I own a cider, I own a, a cider tavern wine and cider bar, you know. Bar. You're really, you're, you're like, hey, I want to correct you right now because I don't want you word getting out that I'm a bar. You yeah, know? And, you know, people come and they'll ask, like, hey, can I do a shot? I'm like, no. <laughs> well, can I have that soda with that liquor you have there? And we're like, no. And they get really pissed. In fact, a couple weeks ago, my manager texted me and she's like, this gentleman's very upset. He wants a your orange cream soda with a vodka. And I said, don't, no. You know, and she knew not to do it. And she just watched like, I tell him, he's very upset. I'm like, take ten dollars out of the drawer, give it to him, tell him that you just talked to the owner and that he wants you to be happy, and that take that ten dollars after you're done with us and go up to Hunting Flask and buy the drink that he wants. I want him to be happy, but I also want him to know that we cannot do what we don't do. That's not your personality. That's not who you are. Look, if you went to a brewery that didn't have vodka or gin yeah. or any kind of spirits would you ask for a cocktail? I, no. But some people do. No, but look, I mean to that person that's what they wanted. I get it. You want to please everybody yeah. but here's the thing. You want to please everybody with cider or or with some mead that you're making. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, that's your personality. That's who you are. Let's face it. You may have a couple or a, a group of people to come in and say you know what? I'm more of a beer drinker. I've never really had cider. Maybe it's not their thing. So maybe it's just not their thing today. But maybe some of these things that you introduce to them will become their thing. And I, I think that's to what you're doing. You're introducing. I mean, even for three years, I'm sure you still have people that have never really had cider versus, let's say, Angry Orchard or Woodchuck or something like that. And now you're giving them a whole different personality to what they may never have had before. Yeah. Yeah, so cider education is very important. In fact, we were, Grand Illusion was the eighth cider certified taproom in America. We were number eight. So at one point in time, don't hold that now because we've had a turnover, but one point, 100% of the front of house staff had passed the exam with a 96% or higher from the National Cider Association of America. So we had, you know, through the TV here, webcam podcasting with with um, Shell and someone from uh, Seattle Center, I think her name was, um, we have a book, I made a book up based on their slides, and I, I test our own staff, and then that prepped them to take the exam. So we, we take it very seriously, and I wanted to establish that uh, credibility. It was like, hey, you know, we do cider, but we're not just selling it. You know, these people know something about it. I think this goes back to your education background. Yeah. And I think this goes back to the idea and the vision that you want to have in this tap room that when you're in front of the guest, you want to educate, you want to inform, you really want to be 
um, an example for the whole industry. Oh, yeah. And that's going to bring people back, right? Yeah. That's, you can have that experience, and let's face it, I mean, you know, look, not everybody's going to have a great day. Not, you know, right. the, you, you get that text message, I'm breaking up with you, or, you know, you get that bad news. And you're not always going to be on in front of the customer or the consumer, but you really want to emphasize that, hey, you're going to have the CIDR education. You're going to know for that person in front of you really how to give them the best experience yeah. possible, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that goes from your branding to your shirts to your logo to your names and, and all that stuff yeah. together. And anything I did, I always wanted to come out just doing it the best we could. Right? So even from our pop-up tent, you know, I just... Yeah, we thought it was a hookah lounge. I didn't yeah, know what yeah, the yeah, heck yeah. it It could be. I know. It would definitely pass this one. Um, but that's exactly it. You know, it's all about the, the impression. What impression are you giving to people? And, and there's a constant need to create new, too. You know, because people want something. You know, what, what's new here? What's... Because you know, they keep coming back, and once they keep coming back. All right, I'm coming back. What's the next? Yeah. Uh, what's so what's the pour is, you've uh, got? Our winter cider. So this will be coming offline soon because we're. So what you're saying is we're having it, and if people show up, you may not get it. We might not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because uh, it's not winter. Right, but come back then next year for <laughs> we winter. We might come back in the summer as our cranberry orange cider, but that's essentially what our winter cider is. So this was a special bottled. So we have it on draft, but we don't sell it in the can. We actually sell it in the bottle. I'll, I'll give you one. Well, thank you. It's a pretty bottle. So, guess what, podcast listeners? We have a bottle. So, if you uh, would like to come to visit us, we'll we'll share what they don't have anymore. <laughs> you know, I wanted to do something at, at Christmas, something that people could buy, um, something we didn't have. Uh, we hadn't done anything with cranberry or orange. To me, that's the kind of strings holiday, you know, uh, table table. So, and I had bought like a thousand. These beautiful flat black seven milliliter uh, champagne bottles, you know, in Canada. And I only made one run with them by him uh, our first year, and I, they're sitting in our basement. I'm like, oh my god, I need to use these. So I now you're opening them up, and you're well. Well, then <laughs> I went and um, okay, I need to make another run and, and use these. So I think we did about three hundred gallons, we made thirty cases of this, and we're selling them. You know. I, It was just something nice, something different that someone could, you know, take to a holiday party. It's a beautiful bottle, a different label, hand handwritten type of thing. And, um, so it became, yeah, just something nice we have, and, and people uh, are enjoying it. Draft on this, you still there's a lot of apple forward to me, and you get like the the essence of orange and cranberry. More orange, you get the cranberry. You get the you get the, the cranberry on the on the mouthfeel on on the taste. Then more I th- so than I think you get in those because I don't know how much you're going to get from the cranberry on the nose. Yeah, I just I think this tastes more like a, a sparkling wine, yes. like a dry. I, I want to say champagne or a prosecco, like a dry. Yeah. There's really that. So for the holidays, as you talk about, this is something that if you know you have people that want to try something different that's just not a wine or a sparkling wine. Like this is a seller. I think when you when you talk about delivering this in a bottle, I think that's the right vehicle for this. You're you're creating a different impression, a different idea, 
that this is something maybe more of a celebratory, bring people together kind of a thing. I agree. I'm glad you pointed that out because that wasn't my intention. Uh, certainly, the bottle, the style, the packaging. Um, but as a cider, it ended up being a different cider than I wanted it to be. But it's better than what I first envisioned. Uh, it's just the blending process. You know, I think we were putting in cranberry and then the orange just kind of in some ways took over a little bit. And I just, I, it ended up being good. I mean, and better than, than my first uh, one that I wanted it to do. So you're exactly right. Yeah, it's very much more of a wine style than, than the others. Yeah, I, I would almost say, I mean, I, I know you went through this in a certain way, but if I'm, if I'm saying like, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like this sappy, sweet cider, where would you start me off with? This would, this would be, you know, not to take away from what, el- what other varietals you have or impressions, expressions you have, but this to me is, is a good gateway to say, look, this is the creativity of cider. This is what you're going to find where you're going to see the, the, the apple expression, um, the apple personality, but then you've got this, this citrus, the orange notes that come out. And the, the, the cranberry to me kind of brings, it's, it, it's not like if I think of cranberry, I think of a like cranberry sauce, but that's not yeah. what you're getting with the cranberry on here. It's almost like this, this, this dry, this dry um, floral note that comes out of the cranberry more than anything else to me. Yeah, that's a good observation. And this is delicious. And yeah. now there's no left, no none left. So, <laughs> and again, sorry. Next year, if we tried it, it would be different. But yeah, but but here's the point. And this is this is what we get to do and share your story. Yeah. Grand Illusion Cider, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. You know, this is this is something that when you come here, you've got a six you got six opportunities on a flight to try. But you've got, what, 12 taps of different things that yeah, people think, can enjoy. Yeah, so many of them are Grand Illusion, but there are some other, um, always there's a few, at least four or five other Pennsylvania ciders. There's always one uh, mead. So um, talk about your mead. I mean, is that something you're well, yeah, consigning so we, or producing? We, uh, we, we, don't, we don't do it. Um, so it's always, see, there, uh, there aren't many. So it's uh, King View outside of Pittsburgh, uh, Haymaker, which has changed their name recently uh, in they're, they have a they have a tap room in Phoenixville now, and they're out of Percocy. Oh, right on. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so they just opened the the um, this, the bottle store out of in Phoenixville, Phoenixville. just recently. Phoenix, I could go off on a whole tangent of Phoenixville. It was part of my Main Street study, and I know the person who's in charge of that. Whole They've done great. Yeah. They've done great things. Um, they they could use a good cidery and. Well, we're that's, yeah. Well, in terms of. Directions. That's yeah, where are you going? So, well, so what's the future of Grand Illusion? The future of Grand Illusion is not another brick and mortar like this. So I will not, unfortunately, uh, just given risk and cost, and, uh, just draw on, on resources, I won't create a second brick and mortar like this somewhere else. That was my vision in the beginning. But what I will do is, our, as our winery license permits, I will extend our license to another facility, another cafe, restaurant, awesome place in and of itself that doesn't have alcohol, and extend it there. So, so what you're saying is, if a restaurant wanted to, uh, you have five of these licenses you can use throughout Pennsylvania, right? Or five additional ones? There's six plus two storage. Right. So we're using one We're out on the strip right now in Pittsburgh, so that's one of mine. Um, at PA Libations. Libations. Yeah, 1700 Penn Avenue. Yeah. That's a, uh, if you haven't been there, I mean, even, 
that's a great place to see really great Pennsylvania producers and what they're making in one space. One space. That's a great spot. Yeah, yeah they dropped a lot of resources on making that place beautiful. So, yeah, so we have about five others that we can drop uh, somewhere else in Pennsylvania. And so we're looking for partners. We're looking for other very successful, um, attractive businesses that uh, currently have food stuffs, whether it be a cafe, a restaurant, uh, maybe even a really cool coffee shop that wants to extend their program into evening hours. Um, I think coming out of COVID and where we are, I think that's a great addition. Um, It's a revenue source for people. It's a conversation source. And I think to what, look, you know, we're out of more of the Philadelphia area. So areas like Ambler, which is now becoming a really strong beer scene, um, which has, um, I believe, um, Stone and Key Cellars has a a presence there now. Um, And... um, you know, like Phoenixville doesn't have a cidery, so there are plenty of opportunities there. You now have me thinking of Main Street USA and some of these up and coming areas like Ardmore, Pennsylvania, near us. Yeah. A couple, of, you know, you know, um, you know, Tired Hands um, is, is there, okay. um, and I don't, right? I don't want to mess that up, and now I'm going to get yelled at on the podcast <laughs> if I I said the wrong one. But um, so there are some great opportunities there to add. Your personality, that's something a little bit different that would be there. Yeah, helps um, this is where This is where, you know, coming up and you, you got the, the, uh, the creative juices flowing. So this is the future for Grand Illusion, though. I think it's the future for a lot of craft alcohol producers. Um, there's just a lot of risk, you know, getting a downtown building, um, whether you're building or renovating it and then putting everything. I know what I went into this, and it took a lot out of me, and I just wouldn't be able to do that again. And if, you know, say I'm up in State College, well, it's two hours away, and how can I manage that? So there's a whole other management team. Yeah, so really, you're going to take the you're gonna take the kegs, you'll bring them down, yeah. you'll help them set up the tap system, yeah. you'll help promote, you'll help them with the point-of-sale stuff, and, and education yeah. stuff, yeah. the shirts, and all that stuff. Yeah. I think it's a great model. Like, here's, what, here's what's exciting for us, Chad, that we get to talk to people, and everybody has a different way of doing this. Everybody has a different idea of what they believe is going to be successful for them, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Creativity. This is your idea. This is your baby. We're here three years into it. Yeah. And as, as far as COVID, how has that affected your business a little bit? How has that affected what you're doing? Um, we, we survived. And uh, it was like triage. You know, when we kind of closed down, it closed down for two weeks, even when we could be open with, with delivery and so forth, just to understand what was happening to me in the business and to get my head around everything because there's so many plates in the air when you're, when you're running one of these things. I mean, it's just from labor to product to wholesale to loans and vehicles. And it's just so many plates. So I had to identify all those plates on paper, know what where my liabilities were, my you know, what was I expected, what was I paying, what was coming out of the bank account at what time? I had a quick look. What, how much I had left? You have employees that oh, you have to kind yeah. of you, you're you're really accountable for, right? Yeah, that's a big thing because when you lose them, they might not come back. Right. You know, they're gonna they need to find something that you know we have one full time, the rest are part time. Uh, many of them have other jobs and they're kind of like their part time gig. So you want you know you don't want to lose good people. You know, we work really hard to create a culture here. I appreciate them, I value them, I give birthday cards and gifts and parties. 
you know, because you just you invest in them and you, you need them to do good things and to stay. It's harder when you get new people in. It's, it's much more expensive hiring. To they say hiring is more expensive than retaining your employees and your staff, right? Yeah, it totally is. So it was just I had to get get everything together. Ask for pauses. I had to stop certain auto pays, you know, because you had to it was triage, you know, and walk into a hospital emergency room. And uh, so I kind of get everything together and, and then just said, okay, let's just open the doors, let's do some uh, delivery and, and some pickup. Pick out, take How was that received? I mean, the delivery and pickup, I mean, did you see like uh, an, uh, an increase of business that you didn't expect or how did that work for you? Um, well, I think we did. Short answer, we did. A lot of people, you know, they were then they had no place to go, and they were used to, they didn't cook a lot for themselves. And so you saw a, a, a quick rise in, in takeout. Um, and we had been doing some of that, but we had to amp up our process and our packaging and stuff. And that was a little learning curve for us. Uh, and we had to then open our online order. I had it set up, but we, we didn't have it accessible. And so I basically had to turn it on and, and build the menu out. So it's we, funny you say that because. It sounds like for your example and where you were at at the time, the process for you really became accelerated, but it's been beneficial to you because now you have, you know, like a point of sale process that you didn't have really set up before, but now you do. Yeah. It kind of forced you into that, didn't it? It did. It did. And I'm glad it did. Um, it, it was, you know, it's helpful that people want that. Um, so it kind of opened up a little market of people that could access us that way. Um, and we were doing delivery, and so that worked out for a while. It started to drop off. Um, I did a crazy gift card sale where you know, I needed some influx of cash just to, just to protect as a buffer against anything coming up. So I was selling gift cards for like $1,000 gift card for 500 bucks. And, and you know, I brought in within over two weeks a good amount of money that I could say, okay. I missed that post somewhere in social media. You can't keep that going for a Oh long my time God, how did, how did I miss that? Day? $1,000 worth of cider products for 500 bucks. I tell you what, man. That's a great offering. People out there who are still ordering a lot of stuff from us through that program, um, they got a big gift card out of that. But, but it helped us. And the people who invested that in us, and that's an investment, uh, or some of our most loyal fans. You know, you make that point. They're investing in you, and they want to see you succeed and stay open. Yeah. Because of the integral, you talked about how and what you mean to the Carlisle community in this Main Street, yeah. and that really is important. And I think as people rallied around a lot of these businesses yeah. Yeah. in the in the beginning, it was it was almost like the conversation. Oh, you know, we need a couple weeks to flatten the curve, whatever that meant. <laughs> and then it's almost like, well, now we need another one. Yeah. And and people started to look and say, well, you know, where's my favorite place going to be, or how do I make sure my favorite place? We've had that conversation, yeah. like. We checked in with a lot of, you know, businesses. How are you doing? Yeah. How can we help you? I mean, a lot of them had the same conversation, you know, buy gift cards. Yeah. Make sure you're, you know, you know, stop by, buy a bottle, buy a four-pack, buy a six-pack. That's going to help us. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you know, the vision is, oh, my God, we want to make sure we can come back, yeah. get back to the bar, and really enjoy yeah. that experience that you set up here. As we talked about in the beginning, Magic Mondays. Yeah. You know, we want to make sure we have this place where we can come and enjoy those Magic Mondays and your brunch on Sundays and stuff like that. So when people come here now, I mean, with Pennsylvania and now the different abilities 
with expansion, I guess, of, of, of minimum occupancy regulations. Right. But what can people expect when they come to Grand Illusion now? Or what, what will they expect in the future? Yeah, so we have, we continue to, to create more um, uh, interesting seating options. We just brought in four booths for the second floor that have transformed that whole second floor, at least the front room, and created a lot of privacy for people. So the back seats are five feet tall. I've got the biggest back seats I could. And you rent them by the hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are like little boats, you know, they're big. And so people really enjoy them. Uh, unfortunately, they're staying longer in them. That's what I'm saying. So table turns are, are down. Got a lot of intimacy there. You yeah. get, a, get a couple of ciders going on. Right, you know, hey, turn, the, turn the lights down. <laughs> um, and that came through a grant from the Pennsylvania, uh, from Main Street USA um, that, that I received. Uh, 31, only 31 in the United States received the grant. We were one of them. That's awesome. So, um, so just kind of, so we can provide, you know, a lot of different seating options um, and, you know, creative experiences. And so we you know, have Magic Mondays. We have a lot of, um, we're trying to get our murder mysteries back. We were doing those every month. Uh, our theater troupe, um, you know, they're slow to warm up. There's some older people in the group, so they're, they're COVID has kind of put a pause on that. But we're coming back with something uh, we're going to call it Drunk History. And so one of our... Uh, Actors is going to be performing drunk history soon until we can get the murder mysteries. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, so we're always trying to, you know, there's. And you have live music? Live music. Things like that. Uh, So, you know, there's always something happening. Uh, There's always something fun and entertaining. Our music is always interesting. Uh, We're very family friendly um, from the owls, you know, in terms of decorations to uh, coloring sheets to a kid's menu. Uh, again, not Chuck E. Cheese, right? We don't want to be one. They're dangerous to go to. Chuck E. Cheese. They were cool back in my day. Um, and, and look, I mean, for the attorneys on board right now, we love Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> you know, and in fact, I think Chad would say if you want to start selling their cider there, they'd be more than happy to. Uh, you, you'll, you'll have like a little rat set up. I mean, um, uh, uh, whatever that is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I always love the pizza. Pizza we do with our cider. Right. But you know, we have kids' seats, changing station in the bathroom. So. Yeah, we're just you, we're just trying to kind of create an awesome, fun, aesthetically pleasing atmosphere, uh, mystical, interesting uh, for everyone. Uh, from the top hats of the bar lights to to our newly introducing soon uh, hypnotron. You'll see it on the way out. He's in the case on the wall of the door. He's a steampunk machine straight out of the United Kingdom. Uh, bought by my mother as a Christmas gift for Grand Illusion, and he is released on Mondays from 6 to 8 p.m. by our house magician, and it tells you the ident- true identity of yourself. The true identity? Yeah. It, it, you have to stare into the spinning wheel, and the lights blink. If the lights change, it reveals who you really are. Okay. Hypnotron. All right. That sounds really fun. And now, now do you, here's what I want to do. I want to do that... Before cider and after cider, because see see who I become after cider or enjoying your ciders. Chad, is there anything we haven't talked about on the podcast today? Anything you want people to know about Grand Illusion or? So one thing I, I'm doing. So again, you know, my I have my academic hat uh, where I teach. And I'm a grant writer and I'm pretty successful at writing grants for that Grand Illusion and the academic side in terms of doing research projects. Um, what I've been able to pull off here at Grand Illusion has given me a lot of marketable skill sets and understandings of how just this works. Um, 
And so I've, re I've packaged all of that, my academic and my personal and my uh, business experiences into a new business, a side activity for me, and it's called Run It Like a Rock Star. Run It Like a Rock Star. Because you, know, you could say, oh, did you open a business consulting service? Um, sure, but is it going to be like Kimball Incorporated or the beautiful little tree? Or yeah, No, run it like a rock star. Like, blow it up, right? So if we're into a pandemic, do you slow down? Do you pump the brakes? No, you accelerate the curve. You punch it, right? This is the time to throw stuff onto the fire. And that's what I've always been about from the very beginning. Do it, but do it, you know, cautiously, but with doing your homework. You know, don't just kind of waste resources and time and money. But do your homework. You think it's right. If you eliminate as much risk as possible, jump. You know, in terms of whether it be opening a business or whether it be turning the corner with your business if your business needs, needs help. Um, so I, my, my shingle is out uh, as, a, as a PhD, as a business person. Runitlikearockstar.com. I have a website. There's a free down e-book book, uh, e on there. Um, that I think people would love. It's funny. It's a lot of personal stories. I teach through stories, so I run my business through stories. When I have staff meetings, I tell stories. The stories pull people in. Yeah, the I, brand is a story, you know. So it's all about stories. And um, so, running like a rock star is like my way of saying, hey, you know what? If you need help, you want some advice, full fledged, little, big time, big, you know, call me. Um, you know, we can work something out. I can help you. Um, and it's just one of those, you know, how, do you, how to extend yourself. Yeah, you're really taking all your life experiences and you're saying, listen, I can help you get through that learning curve faster, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, why should you struggle when I've taken all the arrows and, yeah. and I've taken all the bullets? I'm going to help you get, you know, they, they say fail faster, right? Right, right. Fail faster. Fail. You are. Yeah. But the idea is maybe it's not fail faster. It's, it's almost like learn faster. learn faster. And if you can have some examples or people that can introduce that to you yeah. and say, look, I made this mistake or this, I know, look, I can tell you these are the things you're going to have to go through. Let's, let's bash these together real, real, real quickly so you, you can overcome them to get to the next level. Just like you said, you know, I can, I can do a five-gallon batch or I can do a 90-plus gallon or 100-gallon batch. Yeah. How do we get to knowing that this 100-gallon batch is going to be exactly what it should be right. faster? Now, you do ship in Pennsylvania? We do, but I tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we have, okay. but we don't anymore. Um, for the very reason we're allowed, shipping is just a pain. I don't know how these other folks do it. I've tried, and it's not easy. Um, and so people are listening to the podcast, and they say, wow, I live in Pittsburgh, or I live you know, in the Pennsylvania area, and I want to get a hold of your ciders. Besides coming to Carlisle, yeah. how would they be able to get a hold of your if ciders? You're in Pittsburgh, go to 1600 Penn Avenue. Cause okay, because you have PA Libations. PA Libations. But outside of that, we do distribute. So I, have, I do have a wholesale side of things. I have a driver and a van and a storage location. And so we're up in the Reading. We're out in the Lancaster. We're down in New York. Um, I think I dropped off a place or two in Hagerstown. We were just starting to build that out. Um, we're down in Chambersburg. So that's, we're not up yet up in the State College. Um, but, you know, the wholesale side, it's all about scale and how much the stuff's going to cost you to make and, and what your profit margin is. And I think at the end of the day, I'm like a little bit behind the green curtain here, Wizard of Oz. At the end of the day, I'm just not making enough. It's 
not, the wholesale is not where it is for us. I know self-distribution, so I'm not going through, you know, essentially the wholesale people wanted everything we were taking in more. What's really important, I, I think yeah. the most important aspect of what you just said is, look, come here. Come to Carlisle, spend the day, because there are a lot of other great businesses. Spend a couple hours here at Grand Illusion. You're going to get some amazing food. We didn't even talk about that. You're going to get, you have a great menu here, great food that really, you know, plays well with your cider. But come and spend the day and then become, like we have, just a new friend of Grand Illusion Cider. Experience the downtown, and that's really where the Rent Like Rockstar was really here for Main Street. Um, and what you want to do is come here, because you've mentioned a couple places, but we have a distillery, oh my gosh, four breweries, a cider, and a beautiful downtown. You know, this is a, a pretty cool place. We're not far from Gettysburg, and so there's a tourism you know, attraction there too. Um, and let's not forget, you've got quite a number of car shows in Carlisle. Oh, yeah. Really, there's a lot to do here. Yeah, and right? I didn't even mention, and I'll very quickly plug, that our, we're building a third, a third floor skate park. Two rooms. Here? Yeah, here. So it'll be open, I would say, in the next two and a half. So what you win if you escape is more cider. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, hang out, go up, get lost, get locked in, and come back. And then come back down. So, you know, there's always, we're always doing something, um, and that becomes a whole branch, but I won't get into it. But, you know, we had a third floor that wasn't being used. Escape rooms are really popular, and so... They are. We kind of leaned on some... Grant and some local monies, county tourism monies, and uh, which we transformed the third floor. There's a Houdini uh, room, and there's going to be a Willy Wonka. Oh my God! Two, two really separate, cool stories. All right, when that opens up, I can't wait to come out. Yeah, yeah it's gonna be fun. Chad, this has been like. It's taken two years for us almost to see each other again, and hopefully that time will be as long to get together and yeah, see each other. Because yeah. really, we didn't get a chance to sit down when we were at Pour the Core. No. I'm so glad we did it today. Be, you know, Grand Illusion, the cider you're making, amazing. Continue what you're doing, and you know, you're you're definitely a gem to downtown Carlisle. And this is exactly what you want to put on your list of, of places to go, of ciders you want to try. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been awesome. I appreciate the time. I appreciate coming in. Nice to see you both. No, this has been great. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. Yep.